It's estimated that there are over 40,000 Christian denominations and movements in the world today. And chances are, if you're a Christian listening to this podcast, you're a part of a church that's associated with one out of the 40,000. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 41, that his future followers would exhibit a special kind of unity that would be a testimony to the world. So what happened? Why does it seem like Christians can't agree on anything? Why are there sometimes four different Christian churches on the same street? And why are there so many Christian denominations? For those who aren't Christian, it must seem confusing. Which church is the right one? In our increasingly secular, postmodern, post-Christian culture, Christians must become more united on, and more focused on, gospel issues. But the truth is, there are issues of secondary importance that we're just not all going to agree on. Things like worship styles, church governance, and nuances of non-essential doctrines can often lead to a diversity of perspectives in the body of Christ. How do we talk about these things with other believers in humility, grace, love, and understanding? What makes a local church, or even a denomination, the right fit for you and your family? And seriously, which church is the right one? Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and I'm joined as always by Gabe. Gabe, how are you this morning, brother? Good, good. I've been awake since like 3.30, just drinking coffee, and I did not, I did not. <laughs> having your quiet time. <laughs> I did not sleep in past our pre-determined recording time mm. whatsoever. Yeah. See, I figured that you would have been up already having a time of prayer, and uh Mm. and Bible memorization, because that's usually, what, a good two and a half, three hours for you every morning? Yeah. Well, no, not, yeah. not this morning. Yeah. I, could, I could hear the uh, the rain pitter-pattering on our roof, and uh, then I heard, mm. I heard this little vibration noise coming from our, my bedside table, and I thought, man, that sounds a lot like someone trying to call me. And, and you know, I picked up the phone and you were calling me. And I was like, oh, why is Josh Booker calling me? <laughs> what in the world? Is it an emergency? Maybe he's just calling to chat. Maybe he wants to chat about unity, diversity, and the body of Christ. Hmm. Why, why would he want to talk about that at five in the morning? My goodness. Why would we want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Sometimes I ask myself that as I... Log on to these, but uh, or maybe he was calling to inform me that martial law had been declared after all. Mm, yeah, <laughs> the day of reckoning had actually happened. Yes, so, so funny story. I was uh, right before, um, as some of you probably have inferred, uh, Gabe's alarm didn't quite go off this morning, so I had some time to catch up on some news and I was watching uh, videos of QAnon followers. And kind of what they're up to right now, because if you follow the whole QAnon conspiracy, which I don't follow the QAnon conspiracy theory, but I have been fascinated to watch the people that do. Um, mm -hmm. They held on to the belief that Joe Biden was indeed not going to be inaugurated, that Trump was going to declare martial law 
and the day of reckoning was going to happen right up until the moment of the inauguration. Yeah. So I'll have to send you this video. Gabe, it's pretty fascinating. It was a reporter that found a guy on the street from DC and it was the morning of the inauguration. And he said, uh, I don't believe Joe Biden's going to be inaugurated today. He's like, Oh really? He's like, no, it's going to happen. I'm trusting the plan. I'm trusting the plan. I'm trusting the plan. And then, <laughs> and then there's the inauguration and the reporter finds him afterward. And he's like, so what, what are you feeling? He's like, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And, um, yeah, but here's what's interesting. In the 1800s, there was a very similar group of people who were given a prophecy about the return of Christ. And they were told it was going to be a certain day and it didn't happen. And then after it didn't happen, this day of reckoning, they dropped back and punted and said, okay, I guess it was like a spiritual day of reckoning. And they went off and became the Seventh-day Adventist. Hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, they always they always change the goalposts, you know, those the prophets do when they turn up to be wrong. Um they're real mm-hmm. real slippery. Yeah, it's it, it reminds me so much. I mean, it's a religion, this whole QAnon thing. It's it's a religious yeah. system that yeah. they don't it's it's based kind of like on this has this divine revelation system as well. Um but it reminds me the leaders uh, the the leader of the Bar Kokhba revolt that happened in 130s um, CE in Israel, um, Simon Bar Kokhba was a false messiah that rose up. He was a military leader and tried to, to forcibly overthrow the Romans. Um, it failed, and he actually mm. um, he actually was renamed uh, Simon Bar Kokhba, which is um, like basically the son of a liar. Oh, well, he went from the son of the star. They thought they called him the star um, Mm -hmm. to the son of the liar. And it's kind of like, they all just turned on him. They realized that, no, this was unsuccessful. This is like, what's interesting how they, how much faith they, they put in this, this, this false Messiah, you know, and I'm not saying these people call Trump a Messiah, but sure. Well, some of them, some of them do call Q, whoever Q is, right? That's the whole thing about the QAnon thing is it's mm-hmm. some anonymous figure that's posting these cryptic prophecies on internet message boards. Um, they, they do think he's something like the language I saw, there's a guy that was a QAnon follower and he was talking about QAnon followers falling away. <laughs> I'm oh, like, wow. That's pretty like wow. spiritual and religious language, you know? Oh, um, absolutely. Oh. So it's interesting to, to kind of begin our conversation with that. Um, that is its own distinct and separate movement. Now, it's I don't think it's Christian in the least bit, obviously. Some would say they are Christian QAnon followers, but uh, it's interesting to watch kind of how the cards are getting shuffled right now in the political system in the U.S. And uh, if we kind of look at Christianity as a whole, there are anywhere from 33 to 40,000 distinct separate Christian denomination movements or tribes, hmm. which it, it, it's baffling. If you think about, okay, 2000 years of church history and how many times we've gone through these seismic shifts in Christianity and Christendom. Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of would make sense that there are that many, but golly, I mean, what does it do to you when you see that number, 33 to 40,000 separate Christian movements, denominations, tribes? 
uh, it saddens me because you know there's there's not that much room for that much debate. Um, we as humans, I guess, I guess, and I've seen this, you know, just in my own life that we tend to go tribal and we create our little tribes based on on you know people who agree with us, and we kind of accumulate a little following, and that's how these denominations start over just one little difference. You know, it could be carpet color, but it could be the you know the tri-unity of god or something you know so it's right 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 right. yeah it's it's fascinating and and there's there's you know that's a worldwide number um and you know in our our particular area here in south southeast alabama there's um maybe 24 to 30 i think i I did the count the other day um 24 to 30 different denominations represented just in our area right here yeah i would say it's about the same here in in tennessee um yeah, and it's really it's it's different. Like growing up in Georgia, I would say the most variations between denominations would be, um, you know, forms of Baptist, like a lot of different types of Baptist churches, and then a yeah. lot of different types of Pentecostal churches. Um, and then here in Tennessee, there's a lot more churches in the Restorationist movement, so like Church of Christ, Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, that kind of thing. And that I had no idea anything about any of those denominations until I moved to this area, which is really funny. Um, one state away, you would see that diverse of a uh, you know denominational smattering. But um, you know, it's interesting. It's it's just kind of human nature to assume when we look at that <laughs> number. Okay, but I'm in the right one. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. there's 40,000 of them, but you know, mine's, mine's right. And, uh, yeah. So it's, it's sad that all these other denominations can't figure out what the right one is, which is mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is funny. And, and typically it's, it's the one you've, I mean, I can't say it. everybody, you know, people switch denominations, right. But typically the one you you've grown up in, that's kind of your, your normal. So you, you have a, um, a certain loyalty to that denomination or the one that you were born again into right. tends to be your, right, your right, normal. Right. Well, and, and here's the reality. Like um, I was talking about this the other day with a guy and uh, you know, he was just like, man, that's crazy. Like, you know, it's good that we're not a denomination because the church that I'm in is non-denominational. But I said, but hang on a second. We are our own distinct separate tribe. Like non-denominationalism is a tribe in and of itself. Right. So the reality is if you're going to go to church, if you're going to be part of a church, you've kind of got to pick one, right? Yeah. And you've kind of got to land somewhere with worship style, with church governance, with some, you know, theological nuances, even if there are minor, you've but you've got to pick one. You've got to land somewhere, right? So there's the rub, like, it would be nice if Jesus just showed up and said, Hey, here's exactly how I feel about these things. Here's how I want them. You guys just all get along and get with the same program. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but until he returns again, that's probably not happening. <laughs> yeah. So we have God's word and we have Jesus's commands. And um, the reality is like every one of us has to decide which local congregation or even which movement we're going to connect with and go deep with. And then we've got to figure out how to peacefully coexist in love and, um, you know, show unity towards people who may land somewhere else. 
Yeah, it's it's tough though when we as men we like to build little kingdoms for ourselves, and yeah. that's what these denominations sometimes can be. Um, mm-hmm. Is is you know a, a man says, well, I'm going to split off and and do it and do it this way, and um, yeah, and then and then obviously like that man in his pride wants to continue to grow that denomination because it's kind of his his legacy, his footprint on the faith. Um, that's not every denomination. Some denominations are, 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 you know, motivated out of biblical truth. And, um, but there, there definitely are those instances. And I've seen that personally where you, you'll have, um, you know, mainline such and such pastor gets kicked out because of some weird doctrines he starts developing. And then he forms this whole thing and he starts planting a network of churches and that births into Mm -hmm. a denomination. But yeah, I think, I think we love labels. We love adjectives. Um, we're an yeah. adjective happy people and we will, um, you know, we'll, do, you, do you think that's just like human nature in terms of, we want to be defined by something. We want to be known by something. We want to circle the wagons and say, this, this is who we are. I mean, do you think that's what that's motivated by? Yeah. I think we all want a tribe to, to yeah. be a part of. Yeah. And it's, and it's easy to be in a denomination because then you can just say, I'm, I'm this, and then people can know a lot about you very quickly because you just made that statement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think we 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 enjoy the safety that comes along with that. Well, it's almost as if you feel like you don't have to be the one that. And and again, I'm not I'm not knocking on anybody that aligns with a certain denomination. Obviously, I have tons and tons and tons of friends and people that I, I deeply love that would say they are part of a certain denomination or tribe that's different from mine. But I, one of the things I encountered at the school that you and I both went to was it, it seemed like people didn't really want to think for themselves when it came to certain theological issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just kind of like, well, this is what I've been taught. And the one that I really struggled with when we were in, in Bible college was, you know, we were a part of an assemblies of God uh, Christian college. And the one distinctive that was taught to us was the uh, baptism of the Holy spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And um, I just really had a hard time with that. And I can remember being in Bible studies with people and, and being in classes and studying the book of first Corinthians and uh, showing one of my assemblies of God friends, like, Hey, it says, you know, Paul says not all speak in tongues. I said, so what is it? What, what are we saying is a, church or a subculture when we say everybody has to when paul said not everybody does yeah <laughs> and they just looked at me and say well this is what our denomination teaches <laughs> i was like that's not good enough right and then of course i'm more of a why person like i gotta have a good reason you know yeah um but there's some safety in saying hey there's a collective group of people smarter than me that got together in a room and decided this is what the bible says and so i'm just gonna go with that hmm. because i am a so-and-so you know yeah, and I think, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think that, I don't know, I can't say this because I don't know everyone's hearts, but the average the average just denominational Christian, um, I mean, how much are they picking that church and that denomination based on scriptural truth versus, um, you know, I, I, I see them doing a lot of missions or... They've got a great um, Wednesday night boys program that I can get my my kid involved with, or 
mm-hmm. or their style of worship on Sunday mornings is the, the style that I like. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think that's probably going to, and we talked about that in commercialism in Christianity, um, that I think, I, I, I think I'm safe to say that the minority of Christians in America are picking the denomination um, based on scriptural truth and doctrinal doctrinal coherency. Um, now there, there are some big things, obviously, like, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to find a Southern Baptist, like just strolling up in a, in a Jehovah's witness, you know, church, cause they right, like the style right, right, of worship. Right, right, or anything. There's right, going to be some major. Right. So I think there, it comes, it does come to a point where they're like, okay, no, I can't, I can't cross that line because there are some right. major doctrinal issues. But yeah, I think, I think that's a big thing is, is style of worship is kind of the presentation of worship. Um, the familiarity of it. Um, the, the, you know, we, we talked about that in the commercialism episode. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I would completely agree with you. I mean, very rarely as a pastor, do I meet somebody that, you know, comes to my church and says, Hey, I left this other church to come here. And um, very rarely is it, they're saying to me, you know what? Um, the word of God wasn't being taught. The mission of God wasn't being pursued. Um, you know, the resources of God weren't, weren't being stewarded well. It was usually like, well, they just didn't have anything for my kids, so I came here. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, that other preacher, he wears a suit when he preaches. Man, I don't like wearing suits to church. You wear jeans. I think I want to be a church where people wear jeans. And so I'm listening to this, and I'm just like in the back of my mind thinking, well, great. So if that's if that's how shallow the reasons are we have for associating and aligning with a local church, then all it's going to take is us doing one little thing you don't like, and then you're up and gone somewhere else, you know? Yeah. So the, the, the question becomes like, how do you take those people deeper and get them to become yeah. um, not like Christian meat robots, but like the critical um, testing everything, holding on to what is good um, disciples? How do you, how do yeah. you instill that in them? Yeah. And that's our job. You know, that's, that's, that's what I love about it is to take someone and light a fire in them and say, okay, now I want you to, to think analytically and critically about why you yeah. do what you do and then come to me with questions and, you know. Absolutely. Well, and two, I will say this, I think it's less about, and, and maybe you could push back on this because I don't even know as I'm saying this, this is correct, but I really think when it comes to deciding which church we are to belong to and get connected with and go deep with and be discipled by, it probably has a lot less to do with the sign out in front of the building and a lot more to do with the culture of that particular local assembly. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Now there are limits to that, right? Obviously you said, you know, Jehovah's witness, obviously that's a cult, right? Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. not biblical. Um, But man, I, I have just been amazed at, how many healthy disciple-making churches have existed under a whole different slew of different, you know, titles and denominations. Like it, it really, that probably has less to do with the culture of a local church than the heart of the people that are in leadership in that church. Would you agree with that? Sure. Sure. I mean, take, take the sect, I would say that or denomination you could call it that I'm a part of. There are, you walk into one um, with the same, same adjective on their sign and you'll experience something very different than if you walk Mm -hmm. into ours. Um, and I've been there, I've done that multiple times and there are some who have similar culture 
um, to, to what you would experience within our assembly. But then there are some that you would experience where it's like, whoa, this is different. You know, this is, right. this is right. cold. This is clammy. This is like judgmental, legalistic. And it's it can be, there's a wide spectrum of culture within that one adjective. And I think that that's probably the case with most denominations. Sure. And that, is, that by and large, it's set by by the leaders within that, you know, the leaders, and I say leaders, it, the leader doesn't have to be the guy standing on the stage oh, know, yeah. preaching. Many times yeah. within a congregation, the leader um, and the one who sets the temperature in the room, so to speak, um, are, are prominent members of the local congregation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the old saying is culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? <laughs> so it, it doesn't matter like if the church says, hey, we are a this church or we're a that church and this is our strategy for reaching people. Okay, that doesn't really matter. Like what does it feel like when you walk in the room? Mm-hmm. What is what is the culture really? Like mm-hmm. are people welcoming? Are people engaging? Are people disciple making? Is that actually happening? Because um, you could have all the right theological distinctives, but mm-hmm. if you're not actually doing them, doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where you see those kind of disconnects, but we've been kind of tiptoeing and dancing around. And I've actually, the reason that I reached out to you about us recording this episode is, um, I don't think we've ever really come right out and said what denomination or movement or tribe that we are a part of. <laughs> I mean, we've alluded to it. Um, and people that know us personally know that, but, um, actually got a, uh, a message from, uh, my buddy Kyle. Uh, so Kyle, if you're listening, um, thanks for tuning in. And this episode is for you, my friend. <laughs> and, uh, he was, he was really curious about, about Gabe's movement and tribe and denomination or whatever it is that, that you want to call it. Gabe's a part of the mystery man on the other side of the microphone. Mm. Mm, man of need mystery. Some, need some like, uh, Dos Eques music playing in the background. <laughs> I don't always go to church, but when I do, I prefer, <laughs> That was yeah. a horrible Dosa Keys man accent. Um, and so, yeah, so Gabe and I talked about it. And we just said, hey, why don't we just talk about like where it is we, we have ended up landing, um, why we ended up landing in the churches that we did, and kind of the reasons why we land in the churches we did, and then just kind of talking about it and just kind of seeing where it goes. So, um, Gabe, why don't you go first? Why don't you just kind of tell our listeners how you would describe your church in terms of what denomination or what movement or what tribe you're most closely aligned with. Yeah. Of all the episodes, this is probably one that make, makes me the most nervous because um, we were talking about it on the phone before recording this one. And um, uh, I don't know, because I, I'm, I'm a private person. Mm-hmm. And if you would tell us the address of your church, yeah. too, that'd be great. Well, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant on a lot of different levels to even talk about it because it's like uh, there are people within people within this sect of my faith that um, give it a bad name. Um, and, but I still believe a lot of elements are true and good and, and, you know, good for, good for me and my, my walk. Um, but yeah, so I, I am the teaching elder of Dothan Messianic Fellowship, which is a Messianic congregation and, that's another adjective, right? Messianic. Um, but messianic in its most, um, classical sense just means Messiah-like. Um, and the, whenever I, I introduce myself to, and they, they ask me, you know, where, where do you go to church or in this or that? Or, um, basically what I say is that we are 
we are Christians who follow Jesus in a Jewish way. Hmm. Um, and what that looks like is, you know, we, we, um, keep a seventh day Sabbath. So from Friday night to Saturday night is our Sabbath. And we, we honor that in a more, you know, traditional manner, um, which we can get into later, but, um, you know, we celebrate a lot of, well, all of the biblical holy days from, you know, Passover on down to the Feast of Tabernacles and, and then, and then Hanukkah as well. Um, you know, we typically would call our place of gathering, not a church, but, um, a synagogue where we would come and we would, you know, the synagogue is a building and the congregation is the people who go into it. Um, yeah. so yeah. And, and our worship services would look like, um, half, you know, half Christian, um, worship gathering where there's praise and worship being played like live music mixed with a lot of Hebrew liturgy and prayers that are being prayed from a prayer book called a Siddur. Um, and then oftentimes we'll get out an actual Torah scroll and read from it in Hebrew. So there's a lot of emphasis placed on, on reading Hebrew, um, being familiar with Hebrew. Um, and then we always, after our services, we, we have a meal together. Um, and then, yes, I have some sort of classes afterwards. We're big on, you know, education and, um, and those sorts of things. So yeah, it's, it's different. And, um, uh, but I, I say all that to say, like, and I told Josh, um, on the phone, that if you're listening to this, please know that my my heart for you as a listener is um, that if you're in a place of healthy community and being fed the Word of God, um, that that is where you need to be. And I think Satan can work in a lot of different ways, but one of the goals of Satan is to come into a local assembly and a local flock that a man is giving his life to try to shepherd, um, and he can plant seeds of division within that flock and scatter that flock. Hmm. And that to me is a tragedy whenever that happens, um, especially when it happens for illegitimate reasons. So I would say, um, you know, there are elements like if, if you, if you, as we describe our different denominations or whatever, if there are elements of the messianic faith that appeal to you, um, be very careful and just see if you can work those into your faith and into your life um, while staying plugged in at your local church or congregation, um, as long as they're coherent with your faith and everything. But um, be very, be very, very, very slow and um, uh, prayerful um, about ever leaving your congregation over anything that I tell you, because that's not my goal. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it's, you know, human nature is always, the grass is always greening on the other side, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like you discover something about your faith, like the, you know, the Jewish roots of it. And there's this temptation to just go, well, I'm just going to, you know, uproot everything that God is doing in our, in mine and my family's life through this church and go somewhere where everybody thinks like me when it comes to this. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? You don't want to happen through right, you sharing? Right. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Because yeah. then, then your kids resent you, and they turn their back on the faith, or what? You know, there's like all kinds of different scenarios that might play out. But right, yeah, I think it's so important to stay in in your local community that you've built relationships yeah. with and have accountability in. So, yeah, well, cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you for describing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I kind of struggle with trying to figure out how to describe my church in terms of our denomination. Um, so I would say that 
our church, if one wanted to peg it, is something. So I pastor the Experience Community, Cannon County. Um, and so those of you listening that are familiar with Experience Community, we are um, a church with multiple campuses in Middle Tennessee. So we would be a non-denominational Bible church. I think that's probably the best way to describe us. So our, our roots are kind of in the charismatic movement in the sense of, you know, I came up through Assemblies of God, Corey, our, our uh, founding and lead pastor, he came up in the um, United Pentecostal Church, which we could do a whole episode about that. He left for a number of theological reasons. Um, but we, I think, have been really heavily influenced by the Calvary Chapel movement. So if you're familiar with that on the West Coast, Chuck Smith and those guys, um, it's, it's exegetical teaching. So chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line, that, that's something that we do. That's a little bit different, I think, from some non-denominational churches is if you come into our gatherings, um, you know, you're going to get about a 45 to 50 minute uh, Bible teaching. So, um, you know, contemporary modern worship, uh, casual dress, um, but 45 to 50 minute Bible teaching. And then we take communion every single Sunday. Um, So. That would, I, I guess, be our tribe. I don't know if we have a tribe, but if we did, that that kind of how we would align. And we're also um, becoming more aligned and have become more aligned in the past probably five to six years with the disciple-making movement. So um, I'm a part of a network called Renew Network uh, that's basically, um, you know, focused on things to fuel disciple-making and uh, like discipleship.org, the exponential movement, that kind of thing. So that's a big distinctive of ours is really an emphasis on making disciples and planning churches and, and, and going out. So that, that's kind of how we would describe ourselves at least. But it's kind of weird, you know, being asked to put a label on who you are. Because <laughs> yeah. like you said earlier, like I don't, I don't really know how I feel about labels. But anyway. Yeah. That's so. Yeah, it's, it's – um, so I was doing some research long- the other day and I was looking at um, – Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was I was going to ask you a question, but you were saying something. So go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. Oh, well, I was just saying I was I was doing research. Um, actually, it goes back years ago on on the names of our movement because um, you know we like I said we love adjectives, right? Um, but the names of our movement um, primarily begin to appear in the Book of Acts, and uh, there's three. I, I discovered there's three main names of our movement. And they are the way was actually the one that's used the most. It's used five times in the book of Acts. Hmm. Um, the way is used in Acts 9, Acts 19, Acts 19 again, Acts 24, and then Acts 24. And and then the next most um uh the greatest occurrence of of a name for our movement is the Christians. And that's used in Acts 11, hmm. Acts 26, and then first Peter 4. And then one time we're described as the Nazarenes in Acts 24. Um, after, you know, because we follow the Nazarene. It's just funny because that's its own denomination now. The Nazarene yeah, denomination. Yeah. 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 The Church of the Nazarene. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I just thought I'd share that because it's, it's, it's fascinating to me to see how the Bible describes us. Like how, how did the early movement describe itself? Yeah. Always kind of, always kind of intrigued me. Well, and a lot of times, you know, the word Christian was used almost pejoratively. Mm hmm. Right. It's used by the Roman Empire to basically, oh, these little, these Christians, you know, it wasn't, wasn't like, hey, I'm a Christian. It's like, <laughs> you know, you, you Christian, you, you think you're Jesus, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of funny to think through that. 
So how long have you been a part of your church? How long have you been kind of in the Messianic community? Uh, it's been pushing 12 years, 11 to 12 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay. Yeah, so... Uh, and you didn't I, grow up You didn't grow up in the Messianic community? No, no, I, I grew up okay. the the um, son of an Assemblies of God pastor. And, uh, okay. and then Stacey and I, when we married, you know, she, she grew up Lutheran, and uh, we kind of... I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. And How did she end up at Southeastern? A Lutheran girl. What's a good Lutheran girl doing at a Pentecostal <laughs> Bible college? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, it's it's a funny story. Like I guess like, the guy who supplied plants, no, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the landscaper for uh, Southeastern. I don't know if you remember him. He was a big buff guy. He would walk around and he would just you know throw yard tools all around everywhere. But he um you know he he bought plants off of my now father-in-law to plant at Southeastern. So when you would see, when you're walking down the main drag, yeah. you know, El Prado down Southeastern, there'd be yep. like these big, yep. beautiful, like Bougainvillea plants that are growing in the middle of the thing in these big clay pots. Mm-hmm. Um, well, those were, those were plants from Stacy's family's nursery. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's how the connection was made. Yeah. So the landscaper was talking to my father-in-law and he's like, well, um, you know, we're looking for schools for my daughter and all this, and we can't really, she's not really finding one that she really connects with. And so the landscaper was like, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you check out Southeastern? Because, you know, I, I do their landscaping. It seems like a good school. And, and so they went and visited Southeastern. That's what Stacy went to school there. And then, she, huh. then she started having my babies. So it was like, <laughs> look at there. That's a logical progression. She's going to, she's going to listen to this like two months from now. <laughs> You guys are going to be taking a car ride and she's going to listen to this on her headphones and just turn around and slap you on the arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So 12 years you've been in it. You didn't grow up in it, but what was it about this movement, this tribe that attracted you to it? And you said, man, I think I want to be a part of kind of that movement rather than the one I grew up in. Yeah. I remember sitting, you know, we settled on, on becoming Presbyterians, Stacy and I did. Um, That's logical. Yeah. Yeah. Between we where's were, the middle ground between Lutheran and uh, Assemblies of God? Yeah. 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 Sort of. And uh, we were members of um, a Presbyterian church for a while. And I remember sitting there um, and I would think, I would oftentimes think, what did the first century church look like? What, how did they worship? When mm. Jesus ascended into heaven and, you know, the next Saturday or Sunday came around, like, what did they do for church? And, you know, I'm sitting there looking at this, like, you know, great worship team and, you know, this and that and like a beautiful building and, and, uh, just thinking like, what, what did it look like? And I've always kind of had that question of like a historical church. How did it worship? Um, cause I've seen people, I've seen even my own, my own peers and people I went to, to school with go into like the Episcopal faith or the Lutheran faith or the, or even the Catholic, mm-hmm. Catholic faith on the quest for looking for historical Orthodox Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, well, well those are still really, still really, really new to the game in terms of historical Christianity. What did they go and do? And I remember, um, I remember reading the book of Acts and thinking, you know, uh, these guys were all Jews mm. and you know, there, it seemed like right up until the last pages of the Bible, by and large, this movement was, um, populated by, by Jews. And there was the, it was kind of every now and then there's the occasional non-Jew who would come to the faith. Um, so that, that always, that question always kind of like haunted me. Like, what did they do in the first century and what did it look yeah. like in the first century? So yeah, that, I think that's, and that drove me to look for, um, 
you know, I didn't even know what to call it. I didn't know what terminology to look for, but a messianic Jewish congregation. Cause I was like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm never going to turn my back on the concept of Jesus being the Messiah. Um, right. But are there people who believe in Jesus as Messiah, but also worship and follow in a Jewish way, a Jewish expression? What does that even look like? And yeah. so, yeah, there happened to be a messianic Jewish congregation in our city. And I went in and it was like, whoa, this is so weird. This is so yeah. different, you know, and it's, it was, um, there was dancing, you know, so I'm coming from a Presbyterian church into, um, <laughs> there's like a lot of different Hebrew prayers being prayed and there's dancing yeah. around this big giant scroll and stuff. And I'm like, what is going on here? It was really fascinating. <laughs> well, I remember, I think it was about 12 years ago, we were in your kitchen. Uh, I was coming down to Florida to hang out and visit and we sat at your, your, uh, kitchen Island thing. And you were kind of telling me that you guys had left the Presbyterian church you were attending and you were doing this messianic thing. And, uh, I remember just kind of being concerned and being like, have you lost your mind? You know, <laughs> and yeah. I bet I wasn't the only one, you know, but, um, I, I think when, uh, over the years, as we kind of talked through it, I kind of realized like why you made that shift Yeah, and that it was a really good one. It was, it was for the right kind of reasons, you know? Um, but I wonder, I mean, were there other folks that were kind of just like, man, he's off his rocker. Like he's, you know, he's gone the way of the, of the cult. Yeah. Um, did you have people like that that were just concerned? Like, man, what, what are you doing? Like, you know, going into this other tribe that's different from ours. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the, our pastor, um, you know, we sat down and had a meeting with our pastor and our, our worship pastor and our, and our small group leader that we were a part of. And, um, yeah, you know, there was, there was concerns that were expressed, um, because we did both for a very long time. We, you know, we, we attended a Messianic Jewish congregation in our Presbyterian church. Um, and then I would, I would be in my, you know, small group leader's house and I would say, well, they do this here at the Messianic congregation. Why don't we do this here? And I remember that was the issue of Passover. I said, mm -hmm. you know, why don't we celebrate Passover? It seems like, um, that's what they were doing in, the time of the crucifixion. And so I would ask those kinds of questions and, you know, <sighs> it's funny because I'm, I'm in that position now and I can see how that would feel. And it's right. kind of funny. I can relate more to being asked those kinds of questions and hopefully I can, you know, give good answers, but, um, it's kind of funny that I was that, I was that person, but, yeah. um, but anyways, it's in, you know, so that did raise concern because, um, Presbyterians are a little bit less flexible. I think when it comes to like the sacrament and, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, being, a, being involved in that and, um, they're a little bit less flexible than, than you are probably Josh. Cause, um, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't really like a lot of the questions that I was asking, I guess, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I always took with me that when people ask questions, um, my, my attitude towards the question says more than my answer does. Um, right. But anyways, yeah, yeah. People, people were concerned a little bit, but not, not a whole lot. Um, you know, I didn't get yeah. a lot of, a lot of flack or anything like that for, for switching over to becoming messianic or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think when, when people really sat down with you, had a conversation, I think the realization was you're not switching religions, mm -hmm. right? Like you're not turning your back on Jesus and becoming a, a Jew. I mean, in, in the sense of, becoming Jewish and saying that Jesus was a false Messiah, you, you right. were simply saying, Hey, I'm worshiping Jesus. I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Right. But I just feel like the best way for me and my family to do that is for us to be aligned with this 
particular group in this denomination or tribe or whatever whatever you guys would would refer to it as. Yeah, and my my pastor um, was very gracious, and he said, you know, all the things that you're believing and going towards, he's like, those are completely conducive to our faith. He's like, you know, you guys are welcome to stay. Don't don't think that yeah. you have to disengage from our church. And then he said, but as long as you're as long as you're in a place of worship and community and fellowship, then that's what's important to me. That's awesome. And yeah, so I thought that was really awesome. nice. Yeah, man. Yeah. So um, I've been a part of my church for, I guess, 11 years now. Uh, so we've been here at Experience since 2010. Um, and yeah, I mean, my, my background is a little bit similar than yours. I, I grew up in church. We were in church every time the doors were open. My dad was an elder in churches. My mom was a worship leader in churches. But, um, you know, our church experience growing up was a little bit... Um, it wasn't always good in the sense of like, we would get plugged into a church and then we would go really, really deep. And then my mom usually would find something wrong with the church and then we would completely uproot and move to another church. So we would church hop and church shop my whole life. Mm. And so usually what happened was we would be in a church that was really, really, really like opinionated and, and, uh, like had a doctrinal hobby horse to ride mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and kind of extreme on those doctrinal hobby horses. Like we were in a lot of really, really, really conservative, fundamental legalistic churches. Mm. Um, and so when, when we would leave that church, we would usually like course correct and the pendulum would swing to the other side. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, w- man, I got just like a really weird, complicated church experience growing up in, you know, Bible churches, then growing up in charismatic churches, and then going to independent fundamental Baptist churches, Hmm. which if you're listening, you don't know what an independent fundamental Baptist church is. Just think everything's bad. (laughs) If it feels good, it must be bad. If it looks good, it must be bad. If, you know, so pants for the guys, no shorts, dresses for the ladies, no jeans, no facial hair. If your if your hair touches your ear, then you're going to hell in gasoline underwear. I mean, just <laughs> suit like KJV only. And so, so much of the teaching was like railing against churches that used any d- different Bible translation. Um. So yeah, I mean, being in those churches just kind of messed me up, just to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And then I was in some really good, healthy churches. I, I think what I consider to be my home church um, was a church in my hometown called uh, Evangelical Methodist Church. So it was a Hmm. small kind of Wesleyan denomination that, you know, I really got discipled in and trained up in and and I consider that my home church. And um, I came to Southeastern because the president of Southeastern was a, uh, once upon a time, a Methodist evangelist, Dr. Rutland. And he's friends with my family. My aunt and uncle are really good friends with them. And I'd grown up, watching him preach in different revivals and stuff. And so he was the president down there. And so I came to Southeastern because of Dr. Rutland and had never really been in the Assemblies of God church, had been in charismatic churches, but never in like a a traditional Pentecostal church. And so kind of saw all that and was a part of all that. And I mentioned earlier some things that I kind of didn't really understand about all that. 
And then uh, while I was at Southeastern, I worshiped actually at the same Presbyterian church, Gabe, that, that you and Stacy joined mm-hmm. um, and really enjoyed that. Um, and so I, I, I don't know, like I got a lot of really good things out of the reform movement um, that really shaped me as a young man um, in, in a lot of ways. And so anyway, all that to say, when I was kind of ready to kind of choose a church for myself, I had all these just crazy experiences and backgrounds and diversity. And I was just, man, like, I just want Jesus. Like, I don't know what I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was just like, I just, I just want to sit down with a Bible and open it up and read it and go, Hey, what does it say? What does it mean? And how do I live it out? Yeah. And so when we came to the experience, that's exactly what happened. That's what Corey did or the pastor at the time, he just opened the Bible. Hey, here's what it says. Here's what it means. Let's let's try to live it out. And so we were like, my wife and I were like, yes, sold. We're in. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we ended up where we we ended up. Do you think um, if you guys had stayed plugged in early on at one particular church for a longer spell of time, do you think you would have been more of the I'm loyal to this denomination type? Um, maybe, maybe. I mean, I think so. Like part of my personality is I'm a loyalist, and mm-hmm. I'm. I'm a pretty big rule follower. Yeah. And so I remember, I mean, my wife grew up in the Assemblies of God and um, I had a stint where I taught English in South Korea and I was actually in, this is getting pretty funny. It was a PCA church, so Presbyterian Church of America in Korea that was charismatic. Hmm. <laughs> so a reformed hmm. charismatic church. And, um, you know, I ended up at that church because it was PCA and I had been at a PCA church in Florida. And so I was like, yeah, I want to find a PCA church here. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it totally did not fit the box of either Presbyterian or charismatic. It was just sort of its own thing. And it was, it was healthy. I mean, disciples were being made, outreach was happening. People were growing in their faith. So we came back or I came back to the States and my wife and I started going to an Assemblies of God church. And we were like, we're going to give it a go. We're going to get plugged in here. We're going to be loyal to, you know, the leadership here. And we're just going to work. And dude, we tried so hard <laughs> and we just could not like I, her and I just could not just reconcile some of the things that were being taught. I mean, it was like, you know, the word of faith movement was like creeping mm-hmm. into some of the um, teaching mm-hmm. And I would sit there with my Bible open. The pastor would say something and I would just like flip to a verse that contradicted what he just said and then nudge my wife and then point to the verse in my Bible and be like, he just said this, look, this is what this verse says. Yeah. And I would just kind of nod along. And we did that for maybe a month going in and trying so hard. I mean, giving it a, an honest go at it. And it came to a point where we're just like, we can't do this anymore. And it was sad. Cause we love those folks, but it was just like, man, this is just not it. Like this is just not what we really need. And this is not how we see ourselves being used in the body of Christ to make disciples. And so, yeah. But I think you have to go through those times and those experiences to, you know, it shaped you into the leader that you are right now and the pastor that you are right now um, to where you, you think, okay, there, there could be someone and hopefully there's someone sitting in, the audience listening to what I'm I'm preaching, who is looking these things up and checking me, and I think that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's good. That's that's good to have to go through that experience and be on the other side of that. Yeah, and I think, and you said it earlier. You said like um, that whole experience of people questioning. Y- you welcome that? I think that I, I mm-hmm. think that's what you said, right? 
Um, yeah. And, and I want to be an environment and I want our church to be an environment where people have questions about theology and scripture and even just how the church is, is run. I, I don't want to assume that questions are the same thing as someone challenging. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because that's kind of where, where um, that's how I understand something. I, I have to question. I have to ask, okay, so why do we do this? Yeah. Why do we teach this? Why do we say this? Right. Give me a good reason. If you can give me a good reason, you can show me in the scripture where this is, you know, then I'll be like your biggest champion for this. I'll give you two thumbs up and I will like follow you in this. But if you don't have a good reason other than this is what we've always done, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't follow you. I'm sorry. Like, and, and so, um, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, like, why do we as a church do this? Why do we as a church in our worship gatherings? As long as they are genuinely asking that question because they want to know the truth, I welcome that. And I'm like, yeah. dude, absolutely. Let's get coffee. Let's talk about it. Let's sit down. Let's open our Bibles. Um, so, yeah, I think that did kind of help me find that understanding of it. Yeah. And you can usually tell within the first like three seconds of them asking a question if it's exactly. sincere curiosity or if it's, yeah, I'm going to challenge your authority and, and, yeah. and yeah, kind of undermine. So yeah, I mean those people, um, they they come in and, and blow and blow out of, of churches probably all their lives and, and do that sort of thing. So yeah, 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 yeah. A true, honest, sincere questions are what drive our faith forward. I think um, and help us to become better believers. Yeah, man. Well, hey, so let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take about 10, 15 minutes, and let's go back and forth. And you give me the top five reasons that you're a part of the church and denomination that you lead and that you worship at. So the, the top five things that you like about it, and just real quick, you, you give me one and then you tell me a little bit about it and then I'll give you one and I'll tell you a little bit about it and we'll just go back and forth. Okay. Okay. Um, my, my, this isn't any particular order or anything like that, but I think um, yeah. the, the emphasis on uh, biblical language is mm. important to me because um, you know, we, we can automatically by, focusing, you know, trying to train people to read the, the biblical language. Like I offer, I, I actually teach uh, biblical Hebrew three times a year at our congregation, trying to teach oh, cool. people how to read Hebrew. Um, but that emphasis, what it does is it automatically skirts around the the argument of translation. What translation do we use? You know, which one is the best? And because every denomination kind of has its own like little pet translation that it likes to use, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so I like that. I like the emphasis on biblical languages. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I think that's a reason. Um, mine's kind of related, not necessarily biblical languages, but you know, one of the top reasons that I am a part of my church and our tribe is a heavy emphasis on and a high honor of scripture. Mm. So just like I kind of shared earlier, I, I kind of got completely burnt out on church. Um, and I had a lot of frustration and angst from being in, in the charismatic movement. Um, seeing a lot of things I didn't feel like were biblical and I couldn't really put my finger on what it was about them. I didn't like, or I, I didn't feel a peace in my spirit about, it. I think that's a better way to say it. And so I just, I got frustrated of hearing different churches kind of grab onto and ride their own doctrinal hobby horses. You know, it just kind of seemed like the, the assemblies of God would always just camp out in the book of acts. That's all they wanted to talk about was just the Holy spirit and tongues. Uh, I felt like, in reformed churches, it was always like the book of Romans and they just kind of want to camp out and talk about, um, you know, God's sovereignty and, and salvation and all that stuff. And, and I'm like, 
yes to both. Like, but can we just read the whole thing? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was refreshing to be a part of a church every week. We just opened the Bibles, read them, mm-hmm. and said under teaching that just explained what it meant and said about God and gave practical ways to apply it to our lives. And so that's that's kind of what led us there. And one of the reasons I stayed and and have become a minister in that in our particular tribe. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. All um, right. What's your what's your number two? Um, my number two is the centrality of the family and that mm. our faith is um, powered by uh, it's it's not a, it's not a spectator sport, but rather it's something we really emphasize um, the centrality of your family. That you're going to sit together as a family. When we do events as a congregation, it's open to the entire family. We invite the entire family, and you need to, as families, be sitting around your your dining room table reading to each other from scripture. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's that's where the kind of the the epicenter of discipleship happens within your family. It doesn't really happen in the children's church room. It happens, you know, in your in your in your home. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's another big emphasis that we, you know, one of the reasons why I love our our denomination, as you you could say. But um, it's just it's so important that everything be centered around and discipleship be centered around the family unit. Wow, that's awesome, man. I feel like that's a critical absence in the tribe that I'm in, if you want to call it a tribe. Like, I don't, I feel like that's lacking because I feel like, and and I'm not just talking about my church, I'm talking about just non-denominational churches in general. I feel like there's this assumption when people show up at a church that has, you know, programming and classes and stuff for different life stages and different people groups, you know, it kind of feels like, um, you know, that that people just assume that the church is going to do all the work. Right, you know, right. and that as long as they show up, then, you know, they don't really have to do anything. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's an area we could definitely improve in. Yeah. So, yeah. Your turn. All right. Okay, my turn. Uh, so, for me, simplicity and authenticity. So, um, I was a part of some churches where I felt like I always had to give people who visited with me a disclaimer. So they wouldn't get too freaked out and never want to come back. <laughs> um, and so I never really saw uh, non-Christians or people who were seeking the kingdom come into our gatherings. It was just kind of like, you know, if you knew somebody that was connected or you were a family, then you could come in. Or if you'd grown up in this movement, then you could come in. But it, it didn't really feel like there were people who were like non-believers or just seeking the kingdom or wanted to know we're, we're welcome in our church. And so... Um, I really value the fact that at our church and at our churches and campuses, we we try to create environments that are welcoming and our services are simple. They're not complicated. They're not formal. They're not confusing. So, um, you know, practically speaking, that's casual dress, modern worship, uh, a very simple order of service. We try not to use insider talk. And so I, I really, and, and again, I think, again, this is, I'm not knocking people you know, churches with liturgy or anything like that. But I don't think I personally could go back to a church where someone new had to kind of know, you know, the secret code words or wear the right kind of clothes or be familiar with the service order in order to feel welcomed. Yeah. So, and, and just a disclaimer, I don't think the non-denominational movement like has cornered the market on simplicity and authenticity and having a welcoming environment. 
Because I think it, I don't really think it has anything to do with worship style. I think it really has everything to do with church culture. And I kind of said that earlier. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the drawbacks of the messianic world is that it's very unfamiliar. It's very foreign to a lot of people who are just coming off the streets. Um, and that can be in and of itself unwelcoming to be unfamiliar, even though the people can be the most friendly, you know, warm and receptive people out there. It's like you, you have a service where um, one third of it is in a different language. It's like right, you're, right, 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 right. you're at a disadvantage, right? And, the, yeah. and then there's um, there's some some different things going on culturally. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's rare that you would see. Um, first of all, we don't get a lot of visitors. Um, people kind of have to hunt us down, you know. And so that's when they do hunt us down and they come in. They 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 probably have already kind of stalked us on the internet quite a bit and right. know what they're kind of getting into. Um, but we say when you walk into a, a messianic congregation, it's kind of like walking around with a cast on your arm. You're like, what happened to you? You know, like, tell me, yeah, how did yeah, you get yeah, here? Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely one of the advantages that I think, um, you know, the non, non-denominational church has over the messianic world is its ability to reach the unreached and reach right. the lost and have more of a approachable um, worship setting, if that makes sense. Sure. And I think sometimes we get it wrong and I'm, you know, not just my own church and some sometimes my own church, but I think just um, in trying to make it accessible to people who didn't grow up in church, I think sometimes there's a watering down and a dumbing down. And I think that's, you know, again, why I say this art movement hasn't cornered the market on that, you know? Um, And if I had any criticism of our tribe or our movement, I think we are far too critical of liturgical traditions. Um, and there's kind of the swagger we walk with. Well, we're not stuffy and, you know, we wear jeans, that kind of thing. It's just like, okay. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, I just, yeah. I have a hard time with that. Anytime somebody's like, you know, this is why I am because I couldn't wear a suit to church. And it's like, that's not a good reason to be in the church, you know? Yeah. So anyway. All right. What's your next one? Um, my next one is historicity. Remember that question that kind of plagued me? Like, what did the first century church look like and how did it worship? I would like to think that if um, Peter or James or John strolled into Dothan Messianic Fellowship that they would say, ah, I understand the language of one third of this worship gathering. Um, But even hopefully we would say some of these prayers are prayers that we prayed in our synagogue back in Capernaum or something that they would be kind of familiar to them. Um, In other words, I hope that we're drinking far upstream when it comes to the historicity of our faith and how how we carry out our worship gatherings or you know how we just how, kind of we just carry ourselves and conduct ourselves like the, everything from like the governance of our assembly and the the leadership structure of our assembly to to um to the worship now there i i, I admit there are elements of our congregation's style of worship that are very unhistorical like they obviously wouldn't have a live praise and worship band or anything like that I don't know. I feel like Peter could have played a really mean electric guitar. I don't know. It's just yeah, me. it's awful. You know, yeah, that, that, I guess I kind of always go back to that question of, um, you know, when in Luke four when it says that Jesus was in the synagogues, uh, Jesus went into the synagogue um, in Nazareth as was his custom. Um, you know, that question of what did that synagogue look like, and am I called to emulate that service setting, or am I called to emulate portions of it? If so, how much? And and so I think we try to answer that historicity question. And I don't know with absolute certainty that we're there yet, but we're we're etching towards it. I hope. Yeah. No, I I think that that's a 
a, a really good standard. Like that's the gold standard, right? Of trying to be as close to the Bible as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, I feel like that's a, you know, again, that's fleshed out differently in every congregations, but I think that's the, that's the aim. That should be the aim. Not, Hey, there's this awesome church in this big major city with this pastor. That's I podcast all the time. I want to be like them. No, it's, we're trying to be like the scriptures. We're trying to be like the historic church. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. My next one, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to go with. I, I would say another reason, probably kind of in my top three would probably be the fact that, um, we are striving to be mission minded. And by that, I mean, focused on outreach and disciple making. Mm. Um, Hey, I'm just going to give everybody a like a warning. My two year old is sitting in my lap right now because she got up while we're recording this podcast. So if you hear anybody, Gracie, can you say good morning? Can you say good morning? (laughs) Okay. That's Gracie. Good morning, Gracie. So Gracie's a part of my podcast now. So she's our, she's our, uh, our guest on the podcast today. Yes, we have we have Gracie talking about Frozen and Kitty Balloon. She got at the dentist yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Josh, right. you are you are just a stellar dad right now. You're podcasting. <laughs> you're you're up at five in the morning podcasting about the Bible while holding a two <laughs> while holding a while holding a two year old in your lap. You are. Dude, we're we've been we've been trying to do a Zoom prayer call. For just because we're doing a like 40 days of fasting in the beginning of the year. And every morning on our prayer call that starts at six, mm-hmm. at least one of my kids, if not all of my kids, have interrupted the prayer call at some point. That's funny. So but I guess that's why I was just kind of like when she showed up and we're in the middle of podcasting, I'm like, ah, whatever. Come on. Yeah. In. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I would say that um, we strive to be mission minded. And that means we do a lot of outreach and we do a lot of disciple making. And the reason that I think I really value that is because I remember those words like discipleship and outreach and mission being kind of tossed around in -hmm. churches I grew up in, but I didn't really feel like I was given clear steps for how to make that happen. And so um, Mm. one of the things that we've really tried to do is to answer the question, okay, what is a disciple? What are we talking about? And how do you become one? And how do you help make someone else into one? Yeah. And so really striving to create relational environments that have intentional leaders and reproducible processes to really make disciples, not just assuming it's going to happen, but really helping people take steps. So, um, and again, this is a, this is a criticism of my tribe, the non-denominational tribe. Um, I don't want to be a part of a church that focuses entirely on putting together just a really good service on a Sunday. Yeah. And it just becomes like the big show and you get your, you know, your rock band and your cool transitions and, and not that there's anything specifically wrong with that, but if that's where the emphasis is, mm-hmm. and then there's never any clear steps given to people for how to reach our world, and make disciples, then I think we're missing something. So yeah, um, that's, that's part of, and, and also just an emphasis on church planning where we've got a, um, we got a, another campus that's actually opening up in the next few weeks. And then we've got like, a plan to want to continue to go out and branch out into rural communities in Tennessee. And so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of one of the reasons that we we've landed there. That's awesome. Yeah. That's something lacking within the Messianic world is outreach or missions in general. Um, And that's one of the criticisms that my dad early on brought up to me when I was interested in the Messianic faith is um, I don't see them doing a lot of missions related stuff, Um, which eventually is what drove me to want to travel to Uganda twice now and, and, 
you know, um, help people do that because I do see that as a deficiency, like you said, in outreach and um, bringing people from the the community in and making your presence known in that sense. Um, but I think we do a I think we do a pretty good job, like you said, of of doing discipleship um, and having relationships. We have we kind of have this. Um, I heard this this great ratio that you want to try to keep within if you're trying to build community with a group of families is to have two thirds of the time you're together facing each other. And that could be like a meal. It could be, you know, doing something around a campfire or whatever. And then one third facing a teacher or the shepherd. Um, so that's, it's kind of the ratio we try to get. And I think within yeah. that, that two thirds time, there's a lot of relationship being built and some of the more seasoned people and disciples that are working and answering questions with people who are less seasoned and, you, know, you kind of tend to gravitate towards the people that you're similar to and, and demographically. So, um, yeah, I see that happening. I see a lot of people going to each other's homes and having meals at each other's homes, especially on Friday night, as they bring in the Sabbath, there's a lot of people sharing each other's homes with each other. And, and that's, that's, that's really awesome. good, but that kind of leads me to my, I guess my, is my fifth one. My fourth. I think one? so. I think maybe your fourth one. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, hospitality, um, mm. yeah, cin- center in our faith is, um, you know, primarily because of, because of Abraham and, and his hospitality of, of visitors. Um, and this is kind of borrow from the Jewish faith, um, is the idea of hospitality as being, um, cin- centered, or, uh, a s- essential aspect of your faith that you are on a regular basis, hosting people in your home to eat and to, um, to study scripture together. And, um, that's something that we really put a lot of emphasis on at our congregation is, um, you know, go to each other's homes, invite each other over to your home and, and invite new people into your home. And we really feel that, um, more than a visitor or a, someone off the street coming into our services and, and wanting something to do with the, the God of the Bible, um, coming to your dining room table and sharing a meal with you is probably more compulsive in terms of getting that person to realize the, 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 the love um, that their savior has for them and the grace that God has for them, even while they're dead in their sin. So that's awesome. That's awesome because that is such a like book of acts style evangelism, right? I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> the version of the Bible I read doesn't talk about them taking gospel tracks out or them going to a crusade, right? It's, <laughs> I mean, you have acts too, right? Peter mm-hmm. preaching the day of Pentecost, but um, you have people as they go, you know, inviting people in. I'm even, I'm preaching to the book of Philippians and, uh, you know, most church, uh, historians believe that when Paul planted in Philippi, he went to, you know, Lydia and, and she was one of the first people in the Philippian church, but they probably met in her home and probably were sitting around the table and talking about these things. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's awesome. That's such a countercultural thing too, that feels distinctly un-American. Yeah, I think we we are always shy about doing that because we we feel like our house is a mess or right. just kind of chaotic or you know you don't I don't know this person really well so I don't want to bring them into my home but um, yeah we see you know like you said scripturally that's that's um, how many times do we see Jesus in people's homes eating with sinners and tax collectors um, mm-hmm. like in Luke fifteen you know and it's like it, he's he's around these people in other people's homes. Well, these people had to invite him into their home, you know, and that's right, 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 right. Started kind of a lot of these great conversations and stories from, from the gospels transpire in people's homes. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Um, I guess it's my number four, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, my number four would be unity in the primary things and then diversity in the secondary things. Mm. So early on when I'm, Jenny and I were attending the experience community in Murfreesboro, um, before I came on staff or before I was, you know, even a leader in the church, <clears throat> um, I heard something Corey, our lead pastor said in a sermon about a particular doctrinal issue and it kind of bothered me. And, um, so I got coffee with him and we just sat down and, and we talked for about two hours and we found out we actually agreed on the main issues of this doctrine. And um, so we agreed on it. We were like, yeah, we're on the same page, but then kind of on the specifics of how it was fleshed out, we were kind of not on the same page, but amazingly we were still able to say, yeah, but like, let's do, let's, let's do ministry together. And so I came on as his worship leader and did that for a number of years before I came on as his associate pastor and did that for a number of years before then I was sent out as a church planner. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think what's something I value about our congregations and our, you know, family of churches is that uniformity is not the same as unity. Mm-hmm. Like we can be united on the same important things, but we can have diversity in kind of these secondary things that are, um, you know, we may disagree on. We love the Lord. We believe the scriptures. We, you know, we, we want to study the scriptures and know exactly what they say, but I can feel very strongly as I'm reading the scriptures here, here's what they say. And someone else that loves Jesus more than I do uh, can read it and kind of come to a different conclusion. And, and I would say that you can't really grow and be sharpened when you're surrounded by people who never challenge you or think differently than you. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, I just, I value just being in, in an environment where that happens on a regular basis. And, and there's even people listening to this podcast that, you know, um, call our church home and they come from liturgical backgrounds or they come from, um, you know, church of Christ backgrounds, or they come from Pentecostal backgrounds, or they come from all sorts of things. And we'd probably disagree on the nuances of these secondary doctrines, but the fact that we, are still worshiping together and loving Jesus together and on mission together. I think that's, that's really special and that that's really important. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. Flexibility is always good. And one of the things we did, um, you know, we do once a year actually is we, we actually meet out in someone's property and conduct our services out in the woods in this, you know, it's kind of this really pretty like wedding site, kind of natural amphitheater out in the woods. And, um, so we will, we'll meet, meet out there, do full acoustic worship. Oh, um, cool. and you know, there's no slides, there's no, um, verses up on a screen, there's no air conditioning, there's bugs. And it just, it's for me, it's <laughs> like this time of always just resetting, you know, like, can we do this? You know, yeah. if we can do this, then we deserve all the other stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, we deserve all the goodies, the slides, the, the air conditioning, you know, all this stuff. And, right, 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 right. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um it's funny how attached we get to that stuff, you know, sure. and how, you know, you miss, you miss like one slide of the worship, you know, lyrics or something like that. And it's like, you're going to get a couple comments on It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but no, it's, it's, uh, it's funny how, um, we have to remain, we have to remain flexible and be able to adapt to new situations and stuff too. But, yeah. um, so my, my number five, hmm, well, my number five is, um, the centrality and, and the focus on the nation and the people of Israel within our faith. Um, 
in both historically and uh, prophetically speaking, um, you know, we look at, uh, you know, we we strongly encourage people to go to Israel. We strongly encourage people to um, learn uh, Israeli geography, um, uh, politics, uh, language, um, uh, and also just pray for Israel. Um, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so we we have a lot of eyes on Israel within our within our congregation because, um, well, you know, we are a I guess you could call us, we have Zionist kind of, uh, kind of leanings. You know, we see the, the centrality of Israel in, in, in scripture. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, um, put a lot of emphasis on that. So like when you come in, you're, you're going to be, um, you're going to see uh, and hear a lot of things about Israel in our, in our worship setting. Um, but we believe that that's, you know, where Jesus is going to return to that's the direction we pray towards actually, um, we, we're just really focused on the nation of Israel. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's uh, something I really appreciate it because, um, I, I could argue that scripture is a continuous theme and story centered around the family of Israel, um, through which, uh, salvation comes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of the focal point of the story of the scripture, I guess. Wow. Yeah, there's there's a ton to unpack with that. Maybe we could do a whole separate episode on, you know, perspectives regarding the nation of Israel and the future of Israel and, and God's redemptive plan. But um, yeah, I mean, I you and I have talked about this. I am a hundred percent a believer that God has a plan for the nation of Israel in the last days. Um, so I think in my faith journey in the past probably five or six years, there's been a renewed interest in me, just in the nation of Israel and, um, you know, Jewish practices, my, my family celebrates Passover every year. And, and, you know, a lot of that's because of my wife's family, they've been doing that for a while, but a lot of that's too, just Gabe, you and I, and I'm having conversations about that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. What's your number five? My number five is going to sound super cliche and, and, uh, <laughs> Hobby Lobby cross stitch esque, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is just a commitment to love. I know it sounds super simple, but um, the reason that I am a part of the church that I'm a part of, the reason I'm a part of their family of churches and our movement, our tribe, whatever it is you want to call it, mm-hmm. is there's just a commitment to love each other well in community and to mm-hmm. love God well in our lives. So a big buzzword we say is just authentic, authenticity you know, to really do it, not just to talk about it, not just to have it up on the wall, but to really love the Lord in our worship and our prayer and helping each other grow and and spiritual disciplines. You know, I'm, I just really value being a part of believers that fast together and pray together Mm. and that take it serious, um, that read God's word together, that take it serious, that, you know, do outreach and missions together and take it serious. Like, and then at the whole center of that is just a deep love for each other. Um, I have friendships and connections with folks in the church that um, are closer than my own flesh and blood. Yeah. And um, man, that's such a amazing thing. It's such a valuable thing. It's such a supernatural thing. I don't even know how to explain it using human language because it's, it's such a work of the spirit. You know, 
And um, I'm just grateful to, uh, I don't know, just, just be a part of a culture where that's actually a thing. It's not just, hey, we're right because we believe all the same doctrine. So this is our tribe, right? It's, no, we genuinely, deeply love one another. And, and we want to hang out together. We want to spend time together. Not like we have to because we're in church together. No, we actually want to, you know. So that's, that's really cool. And that, that reminds me of, um, you know, John 13, 35 yeah. by, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So it doesn't really matter what adjective is on the sign. If you lack love, then they're not going to know your his disciples. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's amazing. Like according to Jesus, the greatest evangelistic tool that we have in our tool belt is not crusades or tracks or fancy snazzy programming or, you know, sleek classes or anything like that. The greatest evangelistic tool we have is just loving each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the world really wants. I mean, yeah. sometimes subconsciously, but I think, I think we just really want um, sincerity. We want something to be authentic. Like we, you know, we're willing to, to deal with um, awkward, untalented worship band, you know, like we, mm-hmm. just, we want there to be an authentic experience where they're in this world of like, everything's kind of fabricated and dramatized and there's so yeah. much information zooming around us. It's like, we just want real relationship with people that is, that is based in, in true love. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, cool. So I think we decided that my church is the right one and yours isn't. So <laughs> no, just kidding. Hey, real quick, give me like a 30 second answer. Someone came to you and said, Pastor Gabe, tell me what church is the right one? Like, which one do I need to be at? Oh gosh. Is it, is it, <laughs> there's 40,000 of them. I'm overwhelmed, Pastor Gabe. Please, please, I'm counting on you. I need you. Tell me which church is the right one. Oh, like, that's a, what uh, would you? I don't even want to unpack that question. It's just like, there's so many different things. Like, where do you live? Um, what is your background? I mean, that's, oh, um, where's the rest of your family going and attending and being a part of? I, yeah. I don't know if I can just give a, a quick snippet answer on that. That's tough. I'll tell you how I respond when people ask me that. I always say mine. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I always encourage people. And I, I, I see this a lot when people are in our church and they move away to another town. Yeah. And I get an email and they're just like, I'm struggling to find a church. Uh, What should I be looking for? And I always say, find a church that is preaching the word. Mm. Find a church that is committed to discipleship. And then find a church that is serious about mission. Yeah. Yeah. If you find a church that's preaching the word, serious discipleship, serious about mission, um, you'll probably find a culture of love and Christ-like acceptance within that because you can't really be serious about reaching people in discipleship if you don't have a culture of love and Christ-like acceptance in it. Um, yeah, and, and, and really, it, it really matters a whole lot less, the presentation. Like, it doesn't matter if they're singing. I mean, of course it matters in some sense, but really worship style is is such a minor <laughs> when it comes yeah. to that, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And we make it a major when we're picking a church, but it's really not, it's really not. If the engine that drives the church is preaching the word, outreach, discipleship, loving each other, then man, what does it matter? The kind of songs they're singing on Sundays, you know? Yeah. I think, I think the bottom line is, you know, 
that you're in an environment that's going to teach you and train you how to use the full armor of God. So when the time comes, you can, you can utilize it and you can do the thing that you're, you're going to have to step up and do. Um, and I think that's, that's the bottom line is that you want to, yeah, like you said, you want a place that's, that's, that's equipping you with the full armor of God. Cause we're in warfare and yeah. we cannot forget that. Yeah. So yeah, I like that answer. I might steal that. Yeah. Just steal it and say that the Lord showed you that the other day when you were having a three hour quiet time. So. He gave me a word. Yeah. <laughs> That's what his pastors do. We hear another pastor use the illustration. And they're like, Hmm, you know, the first time you use it, you got to go, you know, a friend of mine once said, and the second time you go, you know, I was thinking the other day. And then the third time you, you use it, you go, like I always say. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you find yourself having like little Josh isms <laughs> that you repeat on a regular basis? This is super embarrassing, but, uh, so like the two pastors I think I've heard <laughs> preach more than anyone else is Dr. Mark Rutland, who was the president of the university we went to. Dude, I've heard every sermon that guy's ever preached, I think. Like every sync, like, yes, like I've heard him preach probably over 3,000 times, right? Gosh. So sometimes I'll say something and I think it's a Joshism and it's not really a Joshism, it's a Rutlandism. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's just yeah. kind of in there, you know? Sure, sure. And then um, when I really got serious about my faith in the early uh, to mid 2000s, I podcasted a lot. And a guy that I podcasted like all the time was a guy out of Texas named Matt Chandler. And he got so deep in my subconscious and crawl that um, when I first started preaching, I would say Chandlerisms. <laughs> and I didn't even know it was a Chandlerism. It was a, it, so I repackaged it as Joshism. So I had to straight up like stop podcasting the guy. Cause you know, people would be like, Hey, I heard Matt Chandler say that. Do you know who that is? And I'd be like, who, who's Matt Chandler? So, um, yeah. So I, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that you had another podcasting partner be- before me. That's <laughs> really no, 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 no. I, I listened to sermons back in the day when you didn't have smartphones and to get a podcast, you had to, you remember this? You had to go on your iTunes store, you had yeah. to download the podcast, and then you had to upload it onto your iPod. That's right. That's right. You had to sync your iPod. Yes. Yeah. And, and so back in the day, like 2007, 2008, when I was syncing stuff onto my iPod, I would listen to to Matt Chandler. And oh, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I was I was confused. Yeah. So I'm not I cheating. Am, I'm, not I am cheating I'm not cheating on you. You're my first. You're my last. You are. <laughs> you are everything that. in between. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Kyle. Just, Kyle, I appreciate, weird. Your, I appreciate your question, Kyle. I hope that I hope that answers it. And um, yeah, thanks for thanks for the great question. Yeah. And Kyle Brooks is his full name. So if anybody's listening to this and you know him and you want to send him hate mail, I could get you his <laughs> info. But anyway, uh, yeah. And he he did have more questions for you, Gabe. So maybe I can get with you about that. And I'm just realizing that my daughter went into the living room and she turned on the TV and she's turned it up at like full volume <laughs> and both her brothers are still asleep. And so is her mom. So I probably better get off this and go turn down the TV. So yeah, sounds like a plan. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Absolutely. Thank you guys. And if you have any questions about any of these things, um, we're going to assume that your questions are just challenging our authority. And so you're not welcome to, no, just kidding. Uh, you can <laughs> send your questions to our email address. We love to get more questions and input on this and, uh, hope the church that you are a part of is preaching the word, making disciples and staying on mission. So, yeah. all right.
Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.